Blog Talk Radio. Hello there. Before we get to tonight's Ready to Unload with Callan Sampete, I just want to urge everybody to go to turnonthejets.com and first off, check out their awesome Jets content, but then click on the little tab in the header that says Donate to Let's Eat. The guys at turnonthejets.com had a great idea. Instead of donating money to a billboard or a plane banner or something like that, why not start a campaign to feed the hungry so Jet fans can do something good in this awful Jet season on the field. So if you blame Itzik, you blame Rex, you blame Gino, you blame Terry Bradway, which I do, you blame Woody Johns, it doesn't really matter. All the money generated here goes directly to the charity. No t-shirts, no website hosting fees, none of that jazz. Do something good this holiday season and help feed the hungry. That'll take you to feedingamerica.org and their Let's Eat campaign. It's a great charity. All the money goes directly to food. You can do something really good this holiday season. So again, go to turnonthejets.com, check out their awesome Jets content, and then donate $5, $10. Every little bit helps this holiday season. And let's uh, do some good around here as Jet fans. Okay, time for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, number 200 in fave. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Hold the phone. Hey, brother. Just a bit outside. Just gotta stop, man. We keep having the same conversation. <laughs> from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It is time for Ready to Unload with Colin Pete, New York Sports Talk Podcast. Nice. It's no big deal. We're talking New York sports. Uh, I know I had it muted there for a second, but it's fine. We're here now. We'll fix that in post. It's not that big a deal. If you're joining us live, thanks very much. We have a huge Jets show for you. And this is episode number 205. We've been doing this for five years, and we have never had as uh, as many esteemed guests in one show as we do tonight. It's crazy pants. If you're a fan of the New York Jets, eh, this is the place to be. If you're not, apologies in advance. We'll get to your team another time, perhaps. But tonight, it is the Jets. It is Dom Cosentino from NJ.com. It is Chris Lepresti, also known as CeeLo. From WFAN.com, or WFAN, not even .com, you guys. And uh, it is Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com, so, and me and Cal. So it's going to be just a huge, monstrous, big old Jets podcast. Uh, we're going to do it McLaughlin Group style. We're going to bring up some issues, ask the boys some questions. 
and, and just see where it goes. It's conversation. It's sports. It's not that big a deal. We do it all the time. We've done it 205 times. Hi, I'm Sam Pete. Welcome to the program. It's exciting. We're talking sports nights. I have coffee tonight. I don't have a glass of wine yet. I might. If you're on the other end and you're listening live, grab a beer. It's fine. Grab a glass of wine. You may be watching the football game. Turn off the announcers. Listen to us. And uh, my co-host, let's bring him in, Mr. Brian Calneva Calpino Cal. Caliente. Hi, Brian. There he is. Hi, Brian. Hi, Steve. Hi, Hi, everyone. Hi. How are you? Great. I'm good. I'm good. It is good to see you, man. It is. It is great to see you. How are you, buddy? Good. I was waiting patiently. Yeah. To come in, and now I'm here. Uh, great. Good. Yeah, I think we were all waiting patiently. For you to come in. We started this show about an hour earlier just to tech everything than we usually do. And, of course, I forgot to unmute it. That's okay. Yeah, that feels good. That's good. But, but, but whatever you do, don't draw attention to it. It's, uh, it's too late for that, my friend. Okay. Great. Yeah. Let's move uh, on. Let's. Shall we? Um, well, we have a huge show tonight, buddy. We have a huge Jets podcast. Huge. Sure do. It's unbelievable. It's the five families. It's the commission. The commission has been called together. Are this many Italians allowed on one podcast? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Shouldn't we be given like recipes for you know for you know spaghetti and meatballs or like this is the night I give the gravy recipe out. This is the night. This is the night, and it's I call it gravy. But you can call it sauce. That's fine. It depends on. How you're Italian. Did you go? <laughs> well, what's, yeah. nice, what's nice about tonight, <laughs> we'll play this out a little bit. What's yeah. nice about tonight is we have everybody on. This doubles as our Thanksgiving episode because we won't be on next week. <laughs> That's right. This does so. double as our uh, Thanksgiving episode. So we'll, so we'll be sure to ask the guys their, their uh, top Thanksgiving dish for yeah. next week. And and do they do the double Thanksgiving or, or the double dish? The Italian Thanksgiving. Correct. Right. Which we've talked about in the past on this show where... That's pasta and turkey. Correct. You don't just get... You're not just getting turkey. You're getting, you know, you're getting a pasta course. You're going to have meatballs. Meatball you're going to have... You get, meatball soup. Whoa, 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 whoa. What now? We don't have time to get in. Well, check, go back in the archives. <laughs> check the tower logs. Check 2010 through 2012 <laughs> Thanksgiving episode. If you Google it, right. <laughs> if you put it into our search engine, you'll, you'll get the, the transcript. Uh, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> I do remember the, the, uh, the meatball soup. But we also talked about the Andibast. You get an Andibast at Thanksgiving. That's right. Nice. Which, this year, we're going to be such a big crew. We're not, we haven't been a big crew in a while, but my uncle Tommy's going now this year. Um, you know, there's there's going to be just a bigger crew. That the we may have to go to on the boss. Can you say that in English for the rest? Yes. Of it? We may. There need, are there are some people that aren't Italian listening to this. We may need two antipastos. Right. What's that again? Explain Anti, that. Antipasti. Yeah, that's with your spiced meats, your cheese. I I have a plate of it out right now for the guys. Everybody does. Listen, if. If Dom Cosentino, Chris Lepresti, and Joe Caparoso are coming over your house, you better have spiced, me- spiced meats and cheeses. The finest cheeses. And then, you know, the, the little the peppers that come in a jar. Oh, the... Uh, the uh, the pepperoncinis, and the then jar, you got the, the... 
the garden now the everybody <laughs> right what is that jar right. that you had 37 of them in your right. pantry and everything was pickled in it right Every, it was peppers and cow, it was, cauliflower it was for a rainy day yeah it was it was totally for Jardin, a rainy day jardina and jardinia something that's right. like that that's right <laughs> well, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later but most importantly we're going to talk a lot of jets tonight so if yeah. you're not a jets fan just stick around. Right, we are. We usually the show is usually um, uh, all New York sports and stuff like that. But tonight, when you have uh, these guys are, are taking the time to be with us, and of course they got an extra day because the jet game they got a snow day. They got a snow day because the jet game is going to be played uh, on Monday night at 7 p.m. in Detroit, which is just weird. That's strange. Has that ever has that happened to the Jets before that you can remember? I don't think it's happened to the Jets. I've, it's happened before in sports or in, in football. Yes. Can't remember the Jets. The Giants have had something like that, right? With the um, well, obviously the Saints after Hurricane Katrina were displaced, That's so right. they, were, they were supposed to play on a neutral. Didn't the Didn't the Saints play a Saints home game in the at Giant in, Stadium? At Giant Stadium. That's right. Which doesn't seem fair. I feel like. Well, ah, look. I think, they, I think they won. I think they did win, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Well, who's uh, uh, and and just so everybody knows, uh, you know, Dom and um, and Chris and and uh, Joe are going to be joining us in just a, a couple of minutes. So hang in there; they're all calling in now. Um, so, who goes to this game, Cal? Good question. I mean, is it a buff? It's a Buffalo home game on the schedule, right? But and the and my big question, and maybe we'll ask the guys this: is how is how are the Bills getting out of Buffalo? They keep right. talking about you can't have the game there because people can't travel. How's the team getting out of the city when all travel is suspended? It's really I, I, it's it's confusing to me. I have I have no idea. And how are the obviously the fans aren't going to travel to the game because well, Bills they, fans are not going to go because they can't leave their homes. Or do Lions fans care about the Bills and the Jets? I can't no. imagine they would. Jet fans don't care about the Bills and the Jets. No, so. so it's it's a really weird situation, unique. It is. It is. It's gonna be it's gonna be very odd. They're probably gonna be playing in front of about five thousand people, and it's a big game for the Bills. It's kind of unfortunate because the Bills are still in the playoff hunt. They're five and five. They're still in it. Right. So I, that's that's rough. All right. I think we have them all here. I think they're all accounted for. Our crack producer, by the way. Bishop yeah, PJ, the big the big donut, right? Um, Bishop Big Donut has uh, has put them all nicely in the queue. They're all here. They're all accounted for. But I believe PJ has some intro music for these guys. So if he does, we're all grateful uh, to Don Corleone for calling this meeting. We all know him as a man of his word, a modest man. He'll always listen to reason. Also, the other heads of the five families. New York, New Jersey. I don't think that was it so far. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that was such a taste of Italy. Thanks. Let's bring them all in. It's Chris Lepresti. It's Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com. It's Dom Cosentino from NewJersey.com. Hi, guys. How you doing? Quite an introduction. I feel feel kind of stereotyped. That 
I hey look, you sh- you should. We all do. We all we all really should. I've decided the hell with it. We're going to embrace it again. Like I'm glad you, said, you guys Joe. didn't play Dominic the Donkey. <laughs> My brother-in-law's name is Dominic, and uh, he's the Italian that married into the Texas family before I did. And they play Dominic the Donkey. He takes a beating, Dom, a beating every yeah. Christmas. I'm, His kids. I'm, oh, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, I, um, I had an, an, ex, an ex-girlfriend who was Madagon, and she did the same thing. So. <laughs> See, it's starting already. See? You know what I meant by Andy Boss. All right. Um, mm-hmm. So, guys, first of all, thank you. Uh, Cal and I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to be with us. I know you guys got a snow day, so you got an extra day to uh, you know before you have to go to Detroit now, change your plans. Um, but really, honestly, before we get into this, thank you guys so much for taking the time to do this. Um and here's how um, Cal and I are thinking of doing it. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the McLaughlin Group, either the real show or the Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> but, you know, my thinking was uh, Cal and I will sort of be the McLaughlins here, and we're going to throw um, our quote-unquote issues at you guys. Uh, so we'll call out who the question is for. And uh, and then we'll all sort of you know we can all sort of follow up and comment on the question afterward after the initial person has been asked. Is that good? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Hey, hey, Chris. Hey, man. Thanks for coming on, man. Your Rangers got a big win last night. All right. Yeah. Well, they needed it in the worst way. I mean, this has been uh, been a rough start to the season, but it's kind of the same start they had last year. So long way to go. I'm not panicking just yet. See, he's such a measured guy. (laughs) <laughs> that's good. It really is. It serves. We'd be jumping off a bridge right yeah, so now. That's right. We're, we're Islander fans who haven't won in 214 years. I mean, well, we'd, we'd be completely <laughs> panicked right now. Of course, our team is very good right now. Um, Enjoy it. And we'll, <laughs> we're actually going on Monday night. Um, the uh, Okay, so here we go. We're going to start this. Issue number one. I'm going to get the ball rolling here. Issue number one. Don't worry. Thank you, PJ. The McLaughlin Group, the American original. For over three decades, the sharpest minds, best sources, hardest talk. Hard- <laughs> hardest talk sounds filthy. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, so Dom. Percentages yes. of import for the 2-8 and eight record. Okay. Injuries to key positions, lack of overall talent, Poor and stubborn coaching. I'm sorry, I okay, missed so the first part of the question. Sure. So, what percentages of import of importance have lent have led to the two and eight record? Injuries to key positions, lack of overall talent, or poor and stubborn coaching? Okay, I would probably say uh, I'm going to go forty percent. With uh, lack of overall talent, Ooh. and thirty percent stubborn coaching, and thirty percent. Uh, sorry, what, what the first one was. It's been a long day. That's okay. <laughs> injuries. Uh, the injuries to key positions. The injuries. The injuries to keep positions. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, that's exactly how as I had it. Well done. <laughs> okay. So he's right. Great. He's absolutely right. Correct. <laughs> That's the correct answer. <laughs> that is the discussion's answer. over. <laughs> That's it. So Dom's um, up 15 yeah. points. 
Right. And and I'm going to follow up. I want to follow up with you, Chris. Um, which has the best chance of being fixed for the rest of the season? So which do you think we'll see the biggest improvement on? Obviously, the injuries to key positions really isn't a part of this. They can't really get healthier at the key positions at cornerback and whatnot. But do you think we will see less of a talent gap over the rest of the way, or do you think we will see less less ridiculously stubborn coaching by Rex Ryan? I mean, unfortunately, I don't know that there's a lot you can do to change either right now. I mean, the talent level is what it is. I mean, you hope that maybe some of the younger players start to step up and, and prove their worth a little bit, specifically the rookies that they were, I think, relying on to contribute more than they have. Calvin Pryor, Jason Morrow, obviously being the, the two the top two guys I'm talking about. And uh, for Pryor, it's been just uh, inefficiency and, and not being able to make some big plays. For Morrow, you could argue that he hasn't been given as much of an opportunity. The playing time has been a, a bit of a head-scratcher for him thus far. So, I mean, they kind of are what they are right now in terms of the roster, and, and I think the injuries play into some of that. They've lost some guys that they were counting on. So I don't know that they can do a whole lot there. And as for the coaching, I mean – I know there's a lot to like about Rex Ryan. There's a lot not to like about him. I think he kind of is what he is at this point as he's getting ready to wrap up year number six. And, uh, you know, and I think you can kind of paint the whole coaching staff with that brush to an extent. Marty Morningweg's been around a long time. Dennis Thurman's been around a lot, uh, been around a long time. These guys are kind of setting their ways to an extent. Um, so, you know, the rest of the way, I think what you look for is for Mike Vick to continue to take care of the football the way he has in the, the first two starts he's had. And uh, that's kind of given them a chance to win these two games that he's been the starter. They're obviously 1-1 one one thus far. But so far, in a very small sample size of Vick as, as the starter, he's seems to have kind of stabilized the offense a little bit, given them a bit of a shot in the arm, given them a chance to win some games, and I, I think that's what they would hope for the rest of the way. Now, Chris, I got the next question, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Joe, we'll get to you. Don't worry. <laughs> we haven't forgotten. I'll hang, I'll hang in there. He's sitting, he's sitting in the corner quiet. But, Chris, the question for you is, they're 2-8. and eight. They're coming off a bye week. Um, they've had an extra week to kind of think about what's going on. They're coming off a win against Pittsburgh, which helps. But in the locker room, what, what's the mood in the locker room at this stage of the season, in a 2-8 and eight season where clearly they're, they're not – you know, they're, the best they can be is 500. Are they fighting to keep their jobs? Do, do, you, do you get the sense that they're fighting the rest of the way, trying to keep their jobs, trying to keep jobs for their coaches? Or is there sort of a sense of resignation that, that this is a lost season and there's going to be a lot of reshuffling after the year? I don't really sense resignation. What I, what I will be upfront and honest about is, you know, this is my – only my second full season covering the team. I've been around the Jet Locker Room four years now, so uh, I haven't really been through two and eight just yet. Uh, this is my first time, so I've been kind of surprised in that I've found the, the locker room to be still pretty relaxed and light, especially coming out of this bye week. It obviously helps that they got the win against the Steelers, but um, overall I've, I've found it to be there's been more I think more of a positive vibe than maybe I expected even when they were one and eight so I don't know if that speaks to kind of apathy or just you know that I think some of these players may be trying not to be too hard on themselves and understanding the situation so I definitely don't sense resignation I, I think that you know they this team has proven at the end of last year and, and even so far this year even though they were in that tough stretch haven't seen the wave the white flag I can see them in, continue to see them go out and give a good effort, you know, whether or not they're able to execute and cut out some of the bonehead mistakes that have plagued them throughout much of the season. I 
I think that remains to be seen, and, and I don't think that really speaks to the, the effort level. So there are definitely some guys on the roster that I think are, are fighting for their, their NFL lives, not just with the Jets, but you know, across the league. They've got a lot of young, unproven players on the roster, and they've got some veterans that quite honestly might be towards the, the tail end of their career that, that might not stick around here next year. So I think those guys understand that what they're going to put on tape the rest of the way could go a long way in determining what kind of interest they get in the off season. So we know they're not playing for the playoffs right now, they're playing for pride. They might be playing for very good chance they're playing for Rex Ryan's job, a lot of the coaches on the staff, and, and really their own jobs in that you know, there's only, I'd say, a handful of players that it seems like this organization is really committed to for the next couple of years. There, there could be a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of change here at the end of this season, especially if you're talking about a new coaching staff and potentially, I'll uh, say that with a, a big star next to it, potentially a new GM again as well, although I, I don't think we've gotten to that point yet with John Idzik. Dom, you're around these guys also. Are you getting the same sense that Chris just talked about, that they haven't really packed it in yet, even though they're 2-8? and eight? Yeah, I, I, I would certainly agree with that. I think it was a stretch maybe, you know, around the, the, the first Buffalo game and, and a little bit before that where there was a, a little bit of the, the sense of resignation, but it was never anything that bad. But really the, the last couple of weeks, and I don't know if it's because Michael Vick's taken over, but there, there, there has been a looseness, you know, I guess is the best way to put it, that you can kind of sense in the locker room. It was a, a recent Friday. I don't know if it was last week or the week before where, you know, guys were really loose. They were, there was a lot of laughter and, 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 and stuff like that in the locker room and, and, and a general really kind of, I don't want to say upbeat vibe, but certainly, uh, you know, uh, laid back and loose. I mean, and, and, you know, these guys are professionals and, they're they're fighting for their jobs every day. The record may be what it is, but but uh, you know for, for a good number of these guys, you know, the next play could be their last. You know, and 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 so regardless of the record, they know they've got to go out there and prove themselves every day in practice and and every Sunday whenever the team plays or Monday night, whatever the case may be. Uh, very cool, Joe Cap. It's your it's your turn, my man. One of the things that your uh, website focuses on a ton. Turn on the Jets dot com. Uh, that's been great is uh, sort of the X's and O's. You have uh, uh, the writers doing a really good job just checking out film and stuff like that. I wanted to ask you, uh, Joe, because uh, this has happened since the last time we had you on, about Percy Harvin. And, um, you, you know, we've talked a lot about Marnie Morningway's uh, play calling, what he was calling when he had Geno, his route combinations and whatnot. Has he gotten more creative now that Harvin has been here? Uh, you know, what have we seen on tape for the last three weeks? Um, and then also, if you can, what what are the biggest um, scheme differences and play calling differences you've seen from Gino to Vic? Has he opened up the playbook again? I think it's probably one of the most positive things that Morningway has done this season, and it's been in a pretty small sample size, is how he's kind of integrated Harvard into the offense. I mean, almost even to the point of maybe even somewhat oversaturation. I think he had 13 targets against the Chiefs. I think he had... 12 or 13 touches in that first game against Buffalo with a couple more called back. And then even last week, um, yeah, I think he had like three catches, but then also, you know, five or six carries, including some, including some from the traditional halfback position. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to use him, but you've seen a, a kind of a determined focus to make sure that Percy Harvin is a, a very active part of this offense. And he, he's played well. He's responded well. We've seen him, you know, catch a couple of passes down the field. We've seen him run well after the catch. You know, we've seen him actually, you know, plays that maybe don't pop off the page, but 
you know, just running a, you know, a slant round, a third and seven, and, you know, sliding down and getting that catch and moving chain, a more, more of a traditional wide receiver. But that was encouraging to see from, from him against Pittsburgh. And, you know, you know, since we've seen that, I think we've seen Eric Decker, even though he hasn't really been healthy, he's really kind of been fully moved into basically a possession receiver type role. He has not really been given a lot of opportunities to get down the field this year, which was, Really, something that did really well in Denver. You know, I, I don't think this guy forgot how to run a post route. Um, maybe he's been a little banged up, and, and maybe the focus has just been on kind of use, using Harvin more in a featured role. But I'm curious to see after the bye week if they do open things up a little bit more with Vic, because really, you know, we saw Vic with the three turnovers against Buffalo in the second half, and then really against the Chiefs and Steelers, even. It was a relatively conservative game plan. They just hit the big deep shot at TJ Graham, but beyond that, they really weren't taking too many shots down the field, a lot of wide receiver screens, a lot of Vic playing very safe and smart football. And I'm curious to see that, you know, they had a bye week. You had another full week to work with the starters. If they opened things up a little more, originally that would have been difficult this week playing in a snowstorm. Now you're inside. You know, now does Decker have more one-on-one matchups with Harvard becoming such a focal part of the offense? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they acclimate the two of them playing side-by-side hopefully, you know, continue to also integrate Jason Morrow, who, as you mentioned before, you know, that's 43% of the team's offensive snaps so far, which is a little head-scratching for a guy who's caught, I believe, 33, 44 targets, you know, has a couple touchdowns, and it's just frustrating to watch a guy like Jeff Cumberland being at the 80-90% mark while Morrow is down at that 40%. Yeah, it's a lot head scratching. It's 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 more than a little head scratching. Let me let me piggyback on that and ask the uh the two beat guys who are with the team, uh and and uh, we'll start with you, Chris. How has Harvin fit in? I mean, this was such an interesting acquisition for the Jets to make. There was all the and I've I've read some of the articles and stuff, um, but of course, you know, we're not with the team every day. You guys are in the locker room. Obviously when he came over it was amidst all sorts of controversy, and it was like he, you know, ate puppies for breakfast or something. Uh, that's the way it was made out. How's he fitting in? Is he fitting into that? Uh, you're, is he fitting into that locker room? And then your gut feeling: is he back next year? I know it depends on a lot of things, but just give me your gut, Chris. We'll start I've with you. Fa- I found that he's so far, at least, I think, fitting quite nicely, at least from what we can tell. Uh, he has talked about how he feels at peace here. He seems comfortable in the locker room. He's right over near Mike Vick. He's got Chris Johnson and a couple of lockers down. So I think uh, a couple of guys that he feels comfortable being around thus far. Um, I know it was a bit of a whirlwind for him initially having to come in and kind of get that crash course on learning a new offense. And a couple of days later, he's rolled out there in the Bills game. The next thing you know, Geno Smith's throwing three interceptions in the first quarter. He's getting yanked out of the game. New quarterback. So it was... It was a pretty wild start to him, but I think you've seen him settle in pretty nicely. Um, you know, look, how does that how does that hold up long term? It's hard for me to say. I haven't been around the guy enough, haven't seen him in this new environment enough yet. From what I can gather, in, in Minnesota it started well, and in Seattle it started well, and obviously things deteriorated along the way. I don't know how right. much of that was his doing and how much of it was just the environments that he was in. So, you know, I'm not going to judge the guy based on simply what's happened in the past. You're going to try and give him a, a clean slate and a fair shot, and I think that's what his teammates with the Jets have done thus far. Uh, he seems to be more comfortable being on the East Coast. He's an East Coast guy. You know, I don't know if that right. makes a factor for him long term, but... Ultimately, I think the most important thing, and Joe was touching on some of the stuff he's able to do for them on the field, and and I think really Harvin was looking to become a more complete receiver. Um, 
as opposed to some of the things he was asked to do in Seattle and in Minnesota. You're still going to see the Jets employ those things, and you have thus far. Some of the more, I don't want to call them gimmicky things, but some of the, the different uh, the different vers- the versatility things he can give you. But the Jets obviously have a need for someone that can at least attempt to stretch the field, and I think Harvin wanted to do some more traditional wide receiver things, line up on the outside, uh, become a more complete and established route runner. So I think the Jets, at least in the short term, are going to give him the opportunity to prove he can do that, and I think the early results have obviously been promising. And I do expect him to be back next year. I don't know that it's going to be under the current contract he's with. I don't know if the Jets will right. look to renegotiate uh, and kind of switch that up a little bit, maybe bring his cap down, cap number down, give him some more guaranteed money, or maybe they feel they have enough uh, salary cap space to kind of stick with what he has and continue to go forth with no guaranteed money. But unless something goes drastically wrong here over the last couple of weeks of the season, uh, I think they feel good about that move, and uh, I would certainly expect him to be part of their plans for next season. Yeah, Dom, Dom, the wide receiver room is always like a weird, diva-filled, everybody's unhappy sort of room. Uh, you know, does he does he seem to be fitting in well to that room? Do the personalities seem to be meshing uh, from what you've seen? Yeah, you know, and, and we're only around the team for a short time each day, so it's not like we're in the meeting rooms with the receivers or, you know, the, the position groups or anything like that. But, I, right. yeah, I, I would echo a lot of what Chris had to say, that, that they're – he does seem to be fitting in well, and I think the role that he's he's getting to play here, where he's playing on the outside, he's being used as a deep threat. Uh, he's he's getting some of the gimmicky stuff too, but I, but I think the, the traditional wideout stuff is, is what he wanted and really wasn't getting in Seattle, particularly this season. So, uh, you know, whether he's going to come back next year, I, I I still think it's up in the air. I mean, I you know, with with six games to go, I, I think the Jets want to see. You know whether this can, you know, uh, become a combustible situation over the you know these final few games. If he can, can, if he, you know, how well he contributes, how well he fits in. I, I think it's a it's a week by week, day by day process that's going to play itself out. Uh, because to bring him back would be an expensive uh, investment for next year, unless they were willing to to rework that contract, which can be you know might end up being kind of tricky for them. So. You know they've got six games to go, and 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 I, I felt it was a nine-game tryout when he got here, and he's got six to go. So that that's kind of where it is with Percy at this point. Uh, yeah, I think you know from a fan perspective and watching how the offense has changed. Joe, you touched on this really, really well, uh, and I wanted to ask you one more question about the offense before we move on, which was, uh, where is speaking of wide receivers, where has Jeremy Curley gone? Uh, is this a a uh, sort of, um, you know, off, offshoot of uh, Percy Harvin getting more uh, touches or getting more looks or getting uh, different, you know, different route combinations that Marty Morningway is putting out there? Where's where's Curly, Joe? It's a good question. I mean, I, of course, it's it coincides with when he signs his new contract. He had probably the, yeah, the least productive <laughs> five-game stretch of his career. And what's always been the thing with Curly is that really since he's been inserted in the lineup since I think it was the middle of 2011, he's been very consistently productive. You know, he was the team's leading receiver in 2012. He was their leading receiver last year. There was a big difference when he was in the lineup compared to when they wa- when he wasn't. And then even to start the season out, he had a big game on Monday night against the Bears with eight catches and a touchdown, you know, was active and involved in those first few games. But I think it's been a few different things. I, I think he's left a couple of plays on the field. Um, to which is you know to which is his blame, but I also do think since Harvin's been here, some of those looks, particularly on third down, that would go to him, 
are going to Harvard. It definitely also looks like that Vic is a little more comfortable and a little more trustworthy looking towards Harvard kind of has that, you know, top option, particularly when he drops back on third down, more so than Curly. You know, don't forget, you know, Gino probably had the best chemistry of any receiver. It was with Curly, and, you know, they, they seem right. to be working relatively well together. So, you know, I think there's been a little bit of an impact because of that. You know, Vic just missed him for a touchdown against the Steelers. You know, maybe if Vic hits that throw, it's not quite as big as a concern right now. But, again, another thing, maybe the Jets won't get out of the bye week. And, you know, hey, you know, how do we get a little more out of this guy? You know, when we look at who are our four best pass catchers, you know, we have Harvin, Decker, Amaro, and Curly. How do we get Curly and Amaro a little more involved alongside Decker and Harvin? instead of maybe a guy like Chris Johnson and Jeff Cumberland or some other guys who could be taking some targets for them. But I think it's going to be an ongoing process for Curley to kind of figure out how he fits alongside Harvin, who's going to take some of the routes that he used to traditionally run for this offense. Uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be interesting. It's like they have no weapons, but they have too many weapons <laughs> at the same time. I don't know how that's possible. Um, this one is for uh, Chris and um, and Dom. Um, and you too, Joe, uh, but uh, specifically for Chris and Dom first. Um, the fire itzik stuff, the the banners, the, the plane overhead. Um, I want to, I just want to see if you guys noticed any sort of effect on the players. Uh, and I, I mean, obviously, I watched Rex's press conference that day when the plane banner flew overhead. He was pissed off. I mean, it was obvious. Um, uh, but I'm just wondering if you guys have gotten any sense from the players that it bothers them. I was you know, going to mention the Steelers you know, being a quote-unquote road game, uh, but all the Steelers fans there and stuff like that. And I've been in that stadium over 19 years when there were, you know, back in like 1991 when there were 60,000 Cowboy fans and like 8,000 Jet fans. Um, so I've been in, in Jet home slash road games. Shoot, shoot everyone they played for you know, 20 years was a, an away game. Um, but it, it, has it had, uh, uh, Dom, I'll, I'll start with you. Has, has, it, has it had any sort of effect that you have seen on the players or you've been able to perceive? Not really. You know, kind of uh, what we, we talked about before, that they, you know, as a group, they hadn't gotten deflated, uh, really. I, I think it's sort of the same thing with this. It was something that, you know, these guys get yelled at by fans all the time. They They, they hear all kinds of, you know, with Twitter now, I'm sure they, they they get all kinds of direct sort of interaction from people who are shouting at them to see. You know, basically, the, I I think the guys like them, stuff like the the the, the fire Idzik banner and the you know the planes and things like that are just an extension of that kind of behavior from fans, and it's just something that you mm. you you accept to a degree as as a jo- as a necessary job hazard, and you put up with you know. Uh, they, like I said before, they still got a job to do, and I think they, you know, they've got to do it for themselves, but also to try to help this team win. So I, I wouldn't say it's it's created any kind of environment where guys are walking around with a bit of a, a bigger chip on their shoulder uh, because this kind of thing happens. So, you know, they know they're two and eight, and they know that people are, are are unhappy, and that they, to to some extent, I think they're self-aware enough to know that you know people should be unhappy with them and should be upset. Uh, and and they're going to take it out in, in in a variety of different ways, and it just so happens, you know, with with jet fans in a town like this, it it it, it manifests itself with with airplanes and things like that. <laughs> Chris, I'm going to before I let you answer, Chris, that's 
super interesting to me, Dom. And before I uh, let me let me tweak it a little bit then for you, Chris. We hear all the time about saving Rex Ryan's job. You know, the players play for Rex Ryan. They're always going to play for Rex Ryan. Are they going to play these last six games and save his job? Does anybody play for John Itzik? I mean, do, do, I mean, are these guys, especially the guys who were drafted by him or maybe brought in as a free agent by him or, you know, a guy like Eric Decker who was given a lot of money by him? I mean, is there was there a sense of like, wow, this is BS. You know, we're sort of playing for this guy too at all? Maybe a little. Uh, I don't. I would. I would probably say in general, I'd probably give that a no. I mean, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're right. getting at, but um, I think it's different when you're talking about playing for a coach as opposed to the GM. I mean, the GM, okay. his main job is is obviously to construct the roster and take care of the organization. A lot of it's done in the off season in the draft. Once you get in season, it's it's going to be obviously about the coaches. And I think these players spend so much time, not just around the head coach, but normally when you get a head coach fired and he's out the door, you're going to change the entire staff and I mean these guys sit in meetings with their coordinators with their positional coaches I mean they it really becomes family I think for 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 a lot of the months out of out of the year so when you're talking about a a person like Rex Ryan who is as as people friendly and you want to call it a player's coach I mean we know that gets him in trouble at times but from a player's standpoint whether it's something they're cognizant of or they're not, I think it's just a different dynamic and a different relationship. You know, I can't speak to John Idzik's personal relationship with the players as well as I can to Rex Ryan's because he's just not a guy that's going to, he's not out there in your face the way Rex Ryan is. So um, I just think it's, it's, it's a different situation, different dynamic. I mean, ultimately these guys understand that it's, it's probably going to be the GM that's making their, making the call on their, on their future, their, their, their uh, status with the organization. So, you know, maybe to an extent that that's something that they're aware of. But I think they also realize, and I think the team handled it well with everything that was going on with the plane and the banners, is that, you know, a lot of that's public perception. It was fun for us in the media to kind of deal with. It was a different story, something that hadn't really happened. And, and it certainly was a big storyline leading up to that game against the Steelers. But, <laughs> yes. but I think these guys... They, they did a good job of saying, look, you know, we can't control the stuff that's going on outside. We got enough problems in here on the inside trying to figure out how to get things turned around. So I think they, they stayed focused and just kind of kept kept their minds on the task at hand. And, and I think they realized that ultimately, you know, this is going to be this season's going to be judged and, and the, the players, the coaches, the GM are going to be judged based on the way uh, things play out on the field, not necessarily what the fans are saying or any of this hijink stuff that goes on. Woody Johnson does kind of have his he- ear open to the fan base. Maybe he's an owner that can be uh, influenced a bit more than others can, but I think the players realize it's, it's not just going to be about, you know, something a group of fans got together and did. It's going to be about uh, the way the game's played out on the field. If I could add one thing, just Please. to kind of dovetail off of what Chris said, the, you know, I think there's a clear line of demarcation for these players between the football side and the business side. You know, when it comes to, you know, right. you, you rarely get them to talk about things like contracts and and that kind of stuff, and that 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 all that comes back to, to Idzik, whereas Rex is the the football guy, the guy who's in the trenches in the trenches with him. With right. them, the guy who goes to bat with for them doesn't throw them under the bus publicly ever or rarely. Um, you know, so so there's a huge difference there in terms of playing for Rex versus playing for Idzik, which is a lot of what Chris just said, basically. Right, right, that makes sense, Cal. Before I want to talk about this week's game specifically in a little bit, but before we get there, I want to just stay general, big picture type stuff, and I want to get really all your guys' opinion on the quarterback position uh, with the Jets. 
they've seen a little bit of a boost with Michael Vick taking over. There's been a little bit more jump in the team. Uh, There's a different feel to the offense, I think, with, with Michael Vick in there. And I just want to start with you, Dom. When you talk about Geno Smith, where where did the Jets go, or where does Geno Smith go at this point? Is he a viable option as as a future quarterback for the Jets, or even as a future quarterback in the league? And uh, and is Michael Vick an option? He's not really a a, a great long term option. He might be okay to come back next year as, as a veteran presence, but what? I really want to hear what you think about Geno Smith at this point. What What's going to happen with him next year? Or does a lot of it have to do with who's in charge? I Well, you, you just took the words out of my mouth. I think a lot of it has <laughs> to do with, with who's here next year. You know, what, it, it, you know, the likelihood is that Rex is going to be gone. What kind of coach do they bring in? Is it an offensive guy who's going to be a read option guy? Is it, you know, who, who would it be and, and who would he want? I think Geno, and I was one of the, the last Geno defenders out there, uh, really up until that la- that Buffalo game. Yeah, uh, I think Geno at this point is going to have a tough time, uh, you know, looking like a viable option. You know, at least until he he gets another opportunity in some way through an injury and does something substantial. You know, what what I was really hoping to see from him this year was improvement or, 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 or a game where maybe, you know, even if he turns the ball over, he's going to make a play that's going to make you go, okay, I, I see what, you know, what everybody's been talking about for so long with this guy all off season and all summer, and we didn't see it. We just kind of kept seeing the same mistakes over and over again. That New England game, he kind of put some things together, but, but really didn't, you know, really didn't do anything good on any kind of consistent basis, and that's troubling when you're talking about developing a guy and seeing – you know, where he can go going forward. I'm on record as saying that Michael Vick, I think, would be a viable option for this team, at least for next year, because they do have other holes to fill. And, I, you know, I think they'd be better served at this point rather than taking another risk and going all in on a quarterback in the first round high in the draft, bringing Vick back, letting him see what he can do again, because he's, it's not like he's he running out of gas or slowing down necessarily here. But, but, you know, build the team kind of around that position and then maybe reevaluate things going forward uh, beyond next season. So, you know, but, but again, some of that, too, is going to depend on how these last six games play out, with, you know, for Michael Vick as well. Joe, do you get the sense that Geno Smith is a talented quarterback that just needs the right system to be in? If he's got the right coaching, if he's got the right system around him, that he can be successful in this league? Yeah, I mean, I think he has a lot of the physical tools that you would look for in a quarterback. I think he, he has the arm strength. I think he's flashed the mobility at times. But I think kind of like Don said, what was very concerning is that he was making a lot of the same mistakes this year that he made last year. And we didn't see – the guy we saw the last four games last season, the guy that got everybody excited and, and made sense to kind of go in with as your starting quarterback this year, you know, we saw that against Oakland, but he still had to turn over. We saw it for most of the Green Bay game, but he still had to turn over. And then the wheels kind of started to slowly come off. And, you know, I think they obviously, they fully came off. Really, you know, probably starting with him, the whole meeting thing with San Diego, the poor performance in San Diego. And, again, a lot of people point to that as the moment that the team sort of switched to Vic. But, Again, Vic came into that San Diego game, didn't look great, admitted he hasn't, hadn't been preparing all that well. So 
at that point, was that the right time to go to Vic? I'm not sure. I thought Gino was okay against Denver and probably played his best game of the season against New England. But, again, even though the Jets, I wouldn't say this is certainly not a quarterback-friendly system at all. We've seen that over the last five years. You know, we heard the reports that of Gino being direct, told directly where to throw the football, which, which sounds a little bit insane, but not all that shocking when you hear some of the other quarterback things that have been put on young quarterbacks in the past five or six years here, but he's got to shoulder some of the blame. And, you know, he, he is that, the stuff of, you know, cursing out a fan and being late for a meeting in this marketplace, you can't, can't do that anywhere as a starting quarterback, but particularly here, you have to know that's going to be magnified that much more. And yep. it just seemed to kind of snowball on him. And he, as things seemed to get bad, he, he never seemed to really kind of rise up and, you know, make that one really great player, have that one really great game where he goes out and doesn't have any turnovers and throws for 325 yards and, you know, puts together a few touchdowns, really puts the team on his back for a week. We, we just didn't see him take that next step this year. And he's kind of in an interesting spot because unless Vic gets hurt, I, I, I'm not sure we're going to see a situation where he plays again this year. And then it's going to depend on the coaching staff and the front office next year, whether he gets another shot. I mean, Guys with his size and talent will ultimately get another chance somewhere in this league. I don't know if it's going to be here. I, I don't know if it's the kind of thing with in New York and with the Jets. When, when it's over, it's over. We saw that with Sanchez. and People could try yeah. to write whatever revisionist history they want with him. It was just time for him to go here. It doesn't mean he can't play quarterback somewhere else in the NFL, but his time had ran up here, and I don't know if Geno's at that point yet or not, but definitely it's been you know the headline number one thing that's been most disappointing to this season is that he didn't really turn the corner in year two, and he looked a lot like the guy who was making a lot of mistakes in year one. Yeah, and and I think I think you all of you guys, if I could just throw something into the mix here too about this this particular season and why they're at two and eight. I think we we've talked to all of you guys, Chris. We hadn't talked to you this season, but we did talk to Dom and Joe. We talked to you last season, Chris, and we talked a lot about Geno Smith at that time. And coming into this season. Um, it was clear that Geno Smith was going to get the chance to be the starter. There was no competition, but I don't think that was a surprise to anyone. Uh, Michael Vick was brought here as a insurance policy against Geno Smith failing to take the next step as a starting quarterback. And when they started off the season, the you know uh, one and two, I likened it back to the uh, uh, the the, the Vinny Testaverde year. And, and in 1998, when they started the season with Glenn Foley, but uh, Bill Parcells brought in Vinny Testaverde to back up Glenn Foley, you know, an oft-intercepted Vinny Testaverde, who, you know, always threw the ball to the other team, and yeah, he had kind of revitalized himself with the Ravens, but still. Um, and it was just a matter of Parcells knowing when to pull the plug on Glenn Foley because he had a veteran team, he had a good defense, and I said at the beginning of this season when they were 1-2, and two, there's got to be a point where Rex Ryan says, you know what, this season is still salvageable. I need to go to Michael Vick. Geno Smith is not developing at the rate we need him to. And he never did. He never did. And I, 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 disagree. I don't know if I disagree. I think the San Diego game was the time to go to him. And I know that Vick played so poorly in the game, as you said, Joe, that I think they got scared off maybe putting him in the next week. But that was the time to make the switch. If you were going to have any sort of season for 2014, that was the time to make the switch. That's what Michael Vick was there for. And they didn't do it. So here they are at 2-8, and eight, and now they've made the switch to Michael Vick. And as you guys have alluded to, the locker room feels at ease. 
the veterans feel like they're not flushing the entire season down. The offense has more of a semblance of professionalism and, and whatnot because Michael Vick is a professional quarterback. So my my overall point here is I think coming into this season, John Itzik knew exactly what he was doing. And Joe, you've alluded to this on the website. Knowing that, am I, are we going to compete with the Denver Broncos this year? Are we going to compete with the New England Patriots this year? Or are we still a few players away? We're going to be as competitive as possible, but we're building something. It's a three- to four-year plan, and we need to find out what Geno Smith is. Well, guess what? Geno Smith isn't it. He's not the answer. You know, the talent gap, in, especially in those games against Green Bay, Chicago, uh, Detroit, all winnable games, all three of them winnable games. I mean, we should be, to me talking about a 4-6 and six or 5-5 five and five team right now, and we're not. And so, you know, when it comes to 2015, I think the biggest thing, and I should have mentioned this in the first question, Dom, I think the biggest thing was the failure of the second-year quarterback to take the next step. That's it. And then the failure of the coaching staff to go to the veteran when he didn't. So, that's my two cents. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, Cal, you, uh, you have the next question. Yes. Or does anybody want to comment on that? I'm sorry, I just threw that out rudely. <laughs> that was a does heck anybody... of a heck of a. Uh, I don't even know what the right word would be there. Monologue, <laughs> even though we're not at the beginning. Soliloquy. There you go. So, yeah. well, uh, you, there was a, you had a lot a lot to get off your chest there. That was that was well <laughs> delivered. Right. I, I know. I, I'm going to go have a cigarette. If I still smoked, <laughs> I would. If I still smoke cigarettes, I would. Um, but no, I, I just uh, that's Cal and I were thinking about talking to you guys tonight and wanting to sort of break it down into 2014 and then with the team moving forward. So I think we're going to do that a little bit now uh, and just ask a couple of questions that way, right, Cal? Well, yeah. What I wanted to to hear, and I'm, I'm going to ask Chris this question. We found out tonight that with the snowstorm up in Buffalo, they moved uh, this week's game to Detroit. It's going to be at a neutral location Monday night at 7 o'clock in Detroit. How does that affect – well, my first question, uh, not that anybody could answer this. It's almost rhetorical. How are the Bills going to get out of Buffalo? If nobody is moving in the city, how do, do they have plans to get the team out of the city? And then the second question as it relates to the Jets is, do they change their game plan at all? Now that instead of playing – in the cold weather, like Joe alluded to earlier, cold weather, snow up in Buffalo, now they're playing in a climate-controlled Detroit Dome Stadium. Does that change the way they prepare for the game, Chris? Uh, you know, that's an excellent question, something I hadn't really thought about a whole lot since they started floating, you know, the Detroit rumors started floating out there. So when we talked to Rex earlier today, we had Marty Morningweg as well. Um, you know, they made it sound like they were going to kind of just stick to their routine, and if they felt they needed to make adjustments, they would. And, and we even posed the question to Rex about the potential of having to play on Tuesday and how that would relate to impacting their, their practice schedule and their routine. But I'd be surprised if there's there's a lot of drastic changes. I mean, Thursday is sort of the big practice day where you're installing the game plan based on, you know, what, what we've heard, what we've seen. So uh, I, I think they, at this point, you know, the Bills and the Jets have a pretty good feel for one another, uh, what their personnel is, what they like to do, what they're comfortable with. Will they make some tweaks now that they're inside? Maybe they could be more aggressive. You're talking about Mike Vick and Percy Harvin on, on the turf rather than outside in the elements. That's a possibility. Uh, I don't know that they'll want to change anything too drastically at this point, this this late in the week, even though it is going to be a Monday game now. Um, but but that's certainly something I couldn't rule out. As for the Bills getting out of town, you know, I'm not up there, haven't been around the team. Well, no one's really been around the team this week. They've been stuck at home. <laughs> but 
my guess would be, based on what I've heard, is they're going to they're going to look to get out of town tomorrow, get into Detroit, and use the Lions practice facility. We had heard that the airport that they you know the, the, the airport they fly out of in Buffalo is actually in good shape because this is one of those weird lake effect snowstorms where it's a thin band, so it's actually a small radius you're talking about that's been dumped with all this snow. In yeah. fact, I was on I was on a radio station up in the in the Buffalo area this morning, and I had said to those guys, "How'd you guys even get to work?" And they said, well, we're 10, 15 minutes north of Buffalo, and we've only got a couple inches of snow. So that gives you an idea of just how, how centralized and, and sort of, uh, you know, small picture this, this storm has been. So I know some of the Buffalo players have been trapped, and some of them have been tweeting and Instagramming and all that stuff about how they're digging themselves out. Uh, it's a professional football team. I'm sure they'll have resources available to them so they can find a way to get get out of their houses. I, I know that there's been that 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 driving band in the in the Orchard Park area. I would think that uh, you know the the local enforcement and uh, police police department, whatever it might be, whoever's making that call is going to recognize that and these guys need to, need to get out. They need to get to the facility. They need to get on a on a bus and get to that plane and get to Detroit so that they can go about their business. Yeah, I think, uh, and Dom, uh, if you have to uh, take off at any time, uh, because you are cr- completely correct, newborns are unbelievably unpredictable. Um, <laughs> you know, thank, thank you for, for, for taking the time. And I'll, and I'll, I'll just, uh, we'll, make the, we'll make the quick shift into the future uh, going forward. Um, so I want to go around the horn here, and, and we'll just do this quick style. Um, you know, gut feeling, obviously there, there's two question marks. So let's start with John Itzik. Um, gut feeling around the room. Joe Caparoso uh, is Itzik here next year. I'm going to say gut feeling. Yes, the Jets get correct wins in their <laughs> final six games to bring him back. Yes. Okay, uh, Chris Lepresti is John Itzik here next year. I think so because I think the Jets are going to play better down the stretch than we've seen them play so far this season. Uh, we got a chance to talk to Woody Johnson about a month ago. Didn't seem like a guy that was ready to press the panic button just yet on his second-year GM. So uh, as much as some of the fans want to see him gone, and, and he certainly has some, some faults to answer for thus far, I think he gets an opportunity to, to see this plan through for at least another season. And Dom Cosentino. Yeah, I'm going to agree with both of those guys. I just think that two years would be a little too soon to kind of completely hit the reset button on, on, you know, what, where this team is and where it's heading, uh, you know, but, but I think if he has another draft, uh, that doesn't pan out or, or, or an off season where there are opportunities to, to bolster this roster in free agency and he doesn't get it done. And, and we're, you know, we're still here talking about a, a team with a, a three and seven or, 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 or two and eight record, uh, a year from now, uh, then then I think it's certainly going to be possible that he's gone. But I, I do think he's back in 2015. As do I. Cal? So I'm going to come in like I'm hanging out by the net. I'm going to take the obvious rebound and ask the question, Rex Ryan. Joe Caparoso, is Rex Ryan back next year? <sighs> Very tough question. Despite being Tom relatively Jay. critical of him this year, and I, I, I said this before, I think – if Rex wins these next two games, these two Monday night games against divisional opponents and sets himself up very well for a five-game winning streak considering that they play two rookie quarterbacks in Minnesota and Tennessee after that, I think he finds his way to be back. I think Woody Johnson wants to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he will logic it by saying this is the second year of a three-year rebuild. I think hopefully if that's the case, and I'm not saying it's the right decision to bring Rex back, they at least clear out some remnants of the scouting department. Cough, cough, Terry Bradway, who's still somehow employed by this organization. 
But <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I would say it's like a 50-50 thing right now, but maybe like a 51-49 that Rex still somehow has nine lives here and finds his way back by getting just enough wins over the second half of the year. 54-40 or fight. Got it. Cal, who's next? Chris, Rex Ryan, yes or no, next year. I'm going to agree with Joe and say yes. I'm going to I'm going to give you a little bit different different reasoning in that I think uh we've seen the Jets kind of put themselves in the awkward position. I should say Woody Johnson did in that, you know, he didn't keep the coach and the GM on the on the same time cycle. Uh, I know that's a point that right. others have brought up. It's made for sort of an awkward situation that that the Jets managed to survive last year and this year it's kind of it's caused some more issues. So I think if we I already answered that I think they're bringing Idzik back for another year. I think that they bring Rex back. However, I will say I think it ultimately depends on what they decide they're going to do about the quarterback situation because if the Jets decide that they're going to go back into the draft and use whatever kind of first-round pick they have on, on, on trying to get one of these these uh, high-profile high profile quarterbacks, then I think you need to get an offensive coach and a, and a more stable offensive system in place for that young player to grow in. If they decide that they're going to continue with a Mike Vick or another veteran and try and catch lightning in the bottle and see if they can make some upgrades in free agency and take a run at getting to the playoffs, then I think you keep Rex Ryan in and you continue along, let him coach coach the defense, give him some corners uh, and some players that he can work with on defense and, and keep Marty Morningweg and this offensive system in place so that you're not blowing that up and having to start over with your players learning a brand-new offensive system uh, under a new head coach with a GM who will be entering his third year. Cool. And Dom, do you agree with the guys, or do you have a different take on Rex Ryan for next year? I've got a different take on Rex Ryan for next year. I, I actually think he, he, he doesn't come back. I think, uh, you know, unless they they win, uh, you know, a number of these games down the stretch, kind of, uh, you know, the way they did last year, it's going to be really hard to, to bring him back. Because, it, you know, I, I, and Joe's touched on this a lot, they, you know, a lot of the mistakes this team has made, uh, you know, are because of the talent, but I think that there are there have been some 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 coaching decisions that where you got to scratch your head and and you look at the the penalties this team's committed, uh, particularly a lot of the false start and unforced kind of things uh, that have plagued this team. And I, I, I kind of feel like they 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 need a, a, a you know some new blood or a fresh start to kind of get going. And I you know believe me, I'm a, nobody's going to miss Rex Ryan and his daily press conference <laughs> more than me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, he the guy is entertaining. He's a genuine human being in a lot of ways. Um, you, you know, all of that stuff. But I, but I just think that this, just given how this how how, how badly this season sort of went off the rails, they kind of need a you know some some a, a fresh perspective. I think at the top, you know, in, in, in leading them going forward, and 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 that will then determine what they do with the quarterback position, whether it's Mike Vick. You know, or or trying to pursue a, a, a rookie with a high draft pick, but I, I just think it's time, really, unless they unless they put together several wins here, and I I think they're going to be they're going to continue to be competitive. I just don't know if they're going to be able to do it though. Yeah, I, I you know what I'm coming with you, Dom. I think he's gone too. I think it is his time for a number of the reasons that you just pointed out, um, and that Joe has uh, has pointed out. And I I think unless they literally go eight and eight. Uh, and win out, or you know, seven and nine maybe, and it, and they do it, and and they beat the Patriots, and they beat the Dolphins, and they beat the Bills. Um, I I really think his time has come and gone here, um, which leads me to my next uh, very quick question. I'll go around the room. Okay, you guys are in the war room in the 2015 draft. I already know what Joe's answer is, but we'll let him answer anyway. Uh, John Itzik is still here, uh, but uh, Bevel is your coach now. 
okay, and you're sitting there at number four, and Marietta and Winston are both there. Are you taking either, and if so, which one? So I'll start with you, Dom. Uh, if Bevel is the coach? Yeah. Whew. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good one. That is a tough one. I'm going to say he, if, if Bevel's the coach, he's probably going to go with a guy like, like Winston. Uh, you know, guy, he, he just, I, he, he's, he, that's what, I don't know. I really don't have much to say about that, uh, you know, because I, I, I just feel like that would be the guy he would take. Yeah, maybe closest that's to what I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna, Russell Wilson. I'm going to punt on it. I'm going to. I'm going to punt on an explanation, uh, you know, on that. But, uh, That's fine. That I don't know. I, you know. I also don't know how much you guys have, as a Jet fan who doesn't have to cover the team every day, once they get to, you know, two and seven or one and seven, one and eight land, I started watching a lot of Oregon games and, you know, sort of scouting Marcus, <laughs> Marcus Mariotti, start watching tape because what the hell do I know? Um, Chris, Chris, same question. You're on the clock there. Bevel's your new, your new coach. Uh, are you taking either one of them? You alluded to this before, the idea of taking another young quarterback in the first round. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be the guy having to make that decision because I know it's very early in the process and there's still a lot of evaluation to be done, not just on those two guys, but you know all the guys that are going to be draftable. Um, from Based on what I can tell, it seems like it's a, it's, it's a pretty soft class. You've got the two big names at the top, obviously, and to me, I would have major question marks about both of them. And with Winston, yep. it's obviously going to be more about the off-the-field stuff, his character, his maturity. Is he going to be able to hold up here in New York? And with Mariota, I, I've certainly heard some mixed reviews on people wondering if he's going to be able to make that transition from that you know, that, that college system that he's running there at Oregon over to a pro-style offense. And you're right, it's going to depend on who the head coach is, who the coordinator is, what kind of system they're running. Um, the Jets have had a tendency for not making the right pick when it comes to quarterbacks in these situations. With Geno Smith, it didn't bite them as much, just in that they didn't have as much invested. When you talk about yep. second round compared to potentially top ten. So yep. uh, I know I'm not, I'm not giving you the short answer here because I, I honestly don't know uh, that either of them is the right choice. If, if, I'm, if I'm locked into picking a quarterback in that spot, uh, I'm probably going to take the safe route with Mariota and hope that I have a, a veteran in place that maybe I can use in the early part of the season or for maybe most of, of 2015 and make sure I don't rush that rookie. I, I think uh, with, Mark like Sanchez, <laughs> with Mark Sanchez, yeah, Mike Vick, whoever it might be, I know there's not a lot of great options out there, but I think that's the GM's job. He's got to find a way to, to put, a, put, a, put a young quarterback in a situation where he has – uh, he he can kind of grow at his own pace, and when he's ready, he'll be ready. And we saw that with some of the rookies this year that didn't start right out of the gate. They were kind of brought along at a slower pace, and, and, and now they're out there starting, whether it be Bortles, whether it be Bridgewater. Uh, I'm sure they're Mettenberger. You know, there's other examples. Um, the Jets have kind of had a tendency with their last two rookie quarterbacks and Mark Sanchez and, and Geno Smith to, to really just kind of throw them out there right away and, and just yep. hope that it sticks, and it obviously hasn't worked out. Different quarterbacks, different situation, but uh, I would tread very lightly because you need to get this one right. And if you pick the wrong guy or if you pick a guy and you throw him right out there at the start and he's not ready, obviously we know that can be disastrous. Yeah, and there's one constant that Joe Caparoso has pointed out quite often about yeah, Mark Sanchez. Yeah, he's right about, he's right about that. Uh, Joe, uh, you're in that scenario. What do you got? It's it's a pretty terrifying question, as <laughs> alluded to. I'm I'm not. I mean, I'm not even sold or sure that either of those guys are, are really even top four or five prospects. I mean, do you remember right. at this time two years ago, Geno Smith was like, "Hey, 
let's tank for Geno Smith or Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley ended up being a third-round pick, and Geno Smith made it all the way through the first round. So I'm curious to yeah. see how the rest of the season goes, how the off-season process goes, particularly with a guy like Winston. I mean, if you were locked into taking a quarterback, and again, the only way I would be taking a quarterback in the first round is with a different head coach who has more of a, a stronger offensive infrastructure. And even in that case, I agree that you probably want another vet, a veteran here who he can fit and learn behind so he's not thrown out there immediately, particularly with a guy like Mariota who has issues fumbling the football, who comes from a sim, somewhat similar one-read type offense to Geno Smith. And, you know, I know he's a better overall prospect probably than Geno, but, I, you know, I see the fumbles and I, I see the kind of offense and it's like a little like scary deja vu. I think Winston, as a pure on-field prospect, is probably the best overall guy, but man, like you, you better have a very strong, strong, discipline-oriented coaching staff and a strong offensive infrastructure if you're going to bring him into New York to play quarterback. I, it just, it feels like the recipe for you know for a disaster. But if you're just talking from a from a talent perspective, and you're confident that you know if you had a guy like Harbaugh here, you, you had a, a strong offensive guy. I could see them maybe taking a risk and saying, you know what, this guy is just too good to pass up. We'll have a veteran here like Mike Vick to take him under his wing, and we're not going to force him out there right away. So I would probably say Winston would be the guy, but obviously a lot could change, in, you know, in the next you know few months or so. Those are all the correct answers because I'm not taking either guy. Um, no, <laughs> and I and I've loved I've loved what I've watched. I mean, again, what the hell do I know? Uh, this is the wonderful thing about the NFL draft these days because there's so much access that everybody you know this you see this all the time with it six failed drafts. Well, I forgot I missed the meeting where they made you an NFL scouting expert because you watched a couple of minutes of the combine on you know NFL Network. Uh, I mean, every everybody's a draft expert now, and I love the draft. We did the draft show. Dom, you called in that, and I had a great time with it, but it's supposed to be a great time. You do not know more than a guy whose entire life is scouting player. Now, he may get it wrong, but I certainly don't know more than he does about some offensive lineman from Wisconsin that I've watched, you know, four minutes of. But anyway, wasn't, I digress. Wasn't Taj, wasn't Taj Boyd a top ten prospect about this time last year? Exactly. Oh, exactly. Point. Absolutely. I, you remember reading Mark Trask where that guy was a top ten yeah. pick. He's in the SXFL now. And wasn't that Rex Ryan's pick? Or is that, you that know, was, or yeah, we hear? That was his vanity pick for the yeah. That's, yeah, it's the dreaded title for a draft pick. It's like John Connor, Scotty McKnight, and Tyler Floyd now. That's <laughs> right. not a pretty line. And, and Boyd, I can say from from having seen him every day in, in Cortland this summer, he was terrible. I mean, yeah, terrible. Was. Yeah, like really bad. <laughs> so, uh, I know. Yeah, good job, everybody. That's one of their twelve draft picks. And of course, it's a go get killed for that, get killed for that one. Um, okay, so guys, you guys have been more than gracious with your time, and I, so I want to wrap up. I do have one sort of construct that I want to put together and ask you guys about because it's a. It's a unique opportunity for us to have uh, two beat reporters uh, for the team, so the sort of old media, and um, and and a guy who's uh, running his website and sort of the new media. Um, and you guys are all working extraordinarily well together, which is great. I know Dom, you've actually uh, used some of Joe's stuff, and um, you know I think that's amazing. I think that's really really cool. Um, so <laughs> we've been going with this Godfather theme because we're all Ginzaloons here. And um, it is sort of meeting of, of the five families, as I said. And I was going back and I was looking at 
I watched the scene again because I've seen the movie 800 times and, and I was looking at quotes and stuff like that. And, and I had this sort of vision about the beat reporters and the new media. And the, and the beat reporters are kind of like the, the five families, right? Like they're kind of like the commission because they're the old guard. And, and Joe is kind of like Salazzo, right? Like he's like the Turk, you know, who's looking to well, get in well, with the organization. That title. That's right. You know, he's good with a knife, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, <laughs> So I was looking at, but you know, Chris, you and you and Dom haven't been on the Jets beat very long at all. So I, I would have a tough time putting you in the commission. To me, you guys are like, you know, you're like Tessio, or you're like, you know, you're like your captains. You know, you're sort of getting your own thing. Maybe you have your own crew without a doubt, but you, you know, you guys aren't the Dons because, let's face it, you know, Samini's Don Corleone, right? Like he's, he's the guy who's been there for a hundred years. You know, um, and then, you know, Tataglia, Barzini, you know, Tataglia is a pimp. That's Manish. Um, I mean, that's obvious. Um, but, you're, I'm sorry, I've been dying all day to say that, by the way. Um, you split it I, in there very nicely. The delivery I hope, is outstanding. I hope, like, in, like in Ocean's Eleven, I hope I didn't rush it because I was really, really working Check on it. Check it off. Yeah. Uh, no, but, you know, you know, Costello, Barzini, the Stracci, like, you know, the main guy. Maybe, you know, maybe Kim Martin Stracci. Um, so do you guys, and, and my point here is how does the beat sort of view the Turk? How does the beat sort of view the new media? How do, how do they view the, uh, you know, proliferation of, uh, fan blogs and, you know, the Jets blog and Bassett gets a, a lot of great access with the team. Joe's starting to get some access with the team. Uh, do, do you know? Do they need to call the commission together to discuss? There's a great quote. Time, it's it's a uh, Barzini. Times have changed. It's not like the old days where we can do anything we want. <laughs> you know, I can just picture you know Costello at the table saying this about uh, about the bloggers. So uh, uh, I'll uh, I'll start with you, Dom, because you come from that world as well. You know, having worked for Deadspin and stuff. Um, how do you guys view the uh, the bloggers and the social, uh, the new media? Well, I, I'm reluctant to kind of speak for for anyone else, but uh, you know, I've always yeah, just, sort of embraced you. it, and I, you know, I, I because I've seen this from both sides. I was a newspaper guy in suburban Philly for a number of years, you know, and, and very much for for a good number of those years, kind of an old an old style, old world kind of guy, you know. I guess you want to put it uh, to stick with the theme here, but uh, <laughs> you know, as time went on, though, and and I continue, you know, I began to read more stuff on the internet. You know, and and then eventually I landed at Deadspin. You know, I began to see the other side of it, and I think that, that there certainly are fan blogs. I'm not referring to the Jets and saying Jets fan blogs and saying this, but there are fan blogs that that, that aren't good. But I, I think that there are there are some, and, and Joe is certainly one of them, that are that are that are outstanding, and, and that I think that, that the X's and O's stuff, and and just kind of taking a, a, a cerebral take on things is, is something you can do without necessarily having the access that a lot of the beat reporters have, you know, and, 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 and having the access, you, 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 and, and I'm seeing that now from having done this for, for just about a year, uh, you know, you, you get almost immersed in kind of a an inward sort of, or insular, I guess is the right word, world, you know, being around the, 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 the team and doing things a certain way as opposed to taking that step back and, 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 and having kind of fresh eyes to, to, to look at, you know, things that 
that are going on with this team that aren't necessarily something that that's going to make a headline that's going to go viral or anything like that or think, things you kind of have to to concern yourself with if you're you know you, you're trying to cover this team and compete in this market. So I, I, I absolutely you know I wouldn't be talking to you guys right now really if I didn't feel that there was a some real value in what uh, sure. a lot of the, the, the better the, a lot of the, a lot of the better bloggers you know bring to the table uh, to provide coverage and I think. You know, I'm not above you know linking to that kind of stuff or or, or quoting someone, you know, in, in, in the things that I do because I, I I think that there's there's a worthwhile perspective there when it's done well, and I think in in certain situations it is done well. Cool, yeah, and and thank you for coming on the show, Dom, and that's a great example of you accepting, you know, a, a small podcast that we're doing. So I, I appreciate that, Chris. Um, you know, same kind of question. I know that you know Rich Samini sits there with all the the sources in his pocket, like so much loose change, <laughs> refuses to share them. Sitting on top of the world is the guy. I'm sorry, I'm just going to beat that analogy <laughs> to death. Um, no, but seriously, Chris. Um, you know, you're you're also a younger guy. You come from, you know, WFAN. You, uh, you know, you're obviously well in tune with new media, with Twitter and whatnot. Um, how how is the feel on the beat for both for yourself and maybe you know some of the perceptions that you've seen for the new media? Yeah, I, I, first I would say I think I think Dom hit on some great points, and and certainly I, I I'm a big follower of what Joe and his guys do on their site, and I think they do tremendous work. And I, I'm I'm like Dom. I mean, if I see something out there that I find interesting or I think is well done or or certainly is 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 useful, knowledgeable information, then you know I'm I'm not against sharing that, linking to it, giving credit. You know that to me, it's if someone does a good job at something, they they should be recognized for it. So, and I don't think you have to be someone that's around the team on a daily basis to to come forth with some some observations and some research or whatever it might be that that can help people maybe that are more general viewers or don't have a deep knowledge of the game and they can they can understand better so i think the other thing to keep in mind and and you have to keep in mind for me my experience and my day-to-day responsibilities on the beat are a lot different than than some of the main people. Um, right. You know, just in that my my content is is more on the audio side. You know, reports I'm doing on the air for the radio station. I'm not really doing any writing outside of uh, what I'm tweeting. Uh, so you know, those those responsibilities are different for me. I also do other work uh, for the radio station that that really has nothing to do with the Jets. So it's a little bit different for me. But what I've noticed is. It's obviously it's very cutthroat, um, which you you would expect in the New York yeah. market. There's a lot of us covering the team, whereas in other cities you're not going to see as many people uh, that are that are assigned to cover the team on a daily basis. So it's very competitive. You mentioned the sources that that's obviously um, a big thing. People that are yeah. trying to break stories, these writers that have to just turn out so much content. And I have a lot of respect and admiration for the the dedication that they show and the hours that they put in. And I think that to me is really one of the main differences I notice is that, you know, we Dom mentioned the X's and O's and sort of the analysis side of things. You know, when you're a writer and day-to-day, your bosses are pressing you to, to break stories and, and churn out all this content, some of it for the Internet, some of it for the newspaper, whatever it might be. There's only so many hours in the day. Um, so, yeah. you know, for some of those people... I don't know that they necessarily have the time that maybe some of the new media folks, whether it might be a fan blog or just a football blog, whatever it might be, people on the outside 
can kind of give you that different approach, that different perspective, and bring something different to the table. And to me, that's the that that's that's something I'm very interested in, and I and I like to view that from the outside, just as a as a casual observer, not even someone that's on the beat. I, I just like when someone brings something different to the table. So it's just it's what you can do with your time. Can you bring something different, uh, different perspective, maybe something unique that someone else isn't doing? And I certainly think a lot of the blog sites do a great job of that. And and I know a lot of the work that Dom does. I mean, and Daryl as well. Um, yeah. You know, they're they're sort of I think towing a, a line, an interesting line where they're they're kind of bouncing forth between both because I know they do a great job of getting stuff up on, on the mm-hmm. on the web very quickly, and they and they give you some different different perspectives and fresh you know fresh perspectives, fresh ideas. So um, you know, different depends on the outlet. Some people are kind of meshing their approach and they're giving you more of that, that, that new media approach. Some are more traditional. Uh, so you have different strengths and weaknesses up and down the beat. So I think it's important if you're on the beat, you're looking to, to bring something that maybe someone else doesn't. But at the same time, at least for me personally, um, you know, I like to keep my mind open and, and certainly don't try and judge other people's work in a negative way. I, I'm, I'm interested and I'm a fan of a lot of those people the way the outside observers are as well. So it's been a fun experience for me thus far. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, you guys, you guys, uh, particularly, you know, Dom and Chris do a, do a very good job of staying positive and staying above some of the fray. And Chris, you just made a great point that I, you know, I'm not sure I have thought about quite a bit. And, and obviously I know how much content these guys have to turn out. Uh, and the pressure that they're under, especially the paper guys. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, a, a blog like Joe, Joe, you know, you can speak to this, but you have a little more time to turn out content. You know what I mean? You you, you can maybe uh, craft a story a little bit better because uh, you're not being pushed for seven articles in four hours or something like that. Now, that's no excuse for bad reporting, but, um, <laughs> you know, or just, just bad journalism, but... Um, you know, that's that is a great point, Chris, that I think is, is, is sort of overlooked. Cal, you had something to add here? No, not to this. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I I have one quick question for each guy. Okay, first, Dom. Um <laughs> Islanders, Penguins, this weekend, home and home. Okay. Uh first place is on the line. I know it's very early in the season, but us Islander fans are very excited. Are you frightened by the Islanders? <laughs> am I am, am I what the Islanders? They're gonna lose both games, right? <laughs> Everybody knows this. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> we <Joe>. tried. <laughs> yeah, you guys know I'm a Penguins fan, right? Yeah, well, that's why we're asking. That's why I'm asking. Of course, I know from this. Yeah, okay. this is all we got, yeah. Tom. It's all. No, this is really. It's, it's, fine. it's really I, I, been a I, long I, time. I, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, and I, I, I'm still a Penguins fan. So, will you watch? Will you watch those games this weekend? Will I watch them? Uh, yeah. Well, now that I don't have to go to Buffalo, um, right. maybe. Are but, you on like uh, a D- are you on like a DVR program with the with the uh, Penguins? You know, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say I go that far with it. I kind of catch them when I when I can, and yeah. uh, especially now with a newborn, it's kind of you know my time sort of going yeah, in that to, direction. But, I had uh, to take last year off as well, and now I'm I'm back yeah. to DVR every Islander game. Yeah, so. I've kind of, and this job is sort of you know. It, it, it's pretty intense sometimes, so you know, just a, a lot of other sports I don't get to watch as often as maybe I, I used to. So well, you'll be um, you'll be there for the you'll be there for the playoffs. So yeah, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I you know I remember a time when the Islanders were dominant. I'm old enough to know that to remember that. So so are we. So are we. Uh, <laughs> so are we. Yeah. No. But, All right. Uh, but yeah, Quick yeah. Go Pens. So. 
<laughs> quick question. Did they have to put Richie Peel on, on the statue, by the way? Um, okay, quick question for uh, jo- for Joe Caparoso. All right, here's your quick question. Cereal, this this podcast uh, thing. I don't know if uh, Chris or Dom are watching it or listening to it. Cal and I have not. I know you're hooked. Joe Cap, tell me why I should be listening to Cereal. Oof, uh, it's like an audio version of True Detective. Think of it that way. Pop it in on your commute. Listen to the first episode. I guarantee you'll be able to listen to all eight episodes within the next three days. That, that's my that's my style of recommendation. I was skeptical at first, too, and my friends passed it on to me. But you will get hooked to it like you get hooked to any kind of television show on Netflix or anything immediately. So give it a shot. Nice. Follow-up question. Um, I, I watched uh, – I finally got to see season two of Newsroom. So I had had to, because Dom, I had the newborn thing as well. So I had to put it off until this year. I watched the entire season in like nine days. Really enjoyed it. Did you like season one or two better? And have you started on season three? Uh, I have not started on season three yet. Um, I would probably say I, I mean, they're pretty comparable. I'd probably say I like season two slightly better. It's, it's, it's an interesting show. I, w- I wouldn't put it up in the pantheon of, of the, the Game of Thrones, uh, House of Cards, of course, Shout out to your your appearance there as well. Pantheon of great shows, but it's definitely it's definitely a worthwhile watch every every single week. All right, excellent. And um, the, the last one for you, Chris. Uh, my last question of the evening, and I told you it was coming. Um, and we may get all three guys because it's a yes or no question. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> the Godfather in the saga. This is a by the way. This is a debate that rages. We were talking about Thanksgiving before. Pretty much comes up every Thanksgiving. Just some at some point, it's like gravy or sauce. It will come up every Thanksgiving at a table because there's an entire part of my family that says they call it, my grandmother called it gravy, and then the other people swear she called it sauce. I know the truth. I have it recorded. That's not the point. But this, this question always comes up. In The Godfather, Michael, of course, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, of course, has his brother, his own brother, flesh and blood Fredo killed was that the right move Chris if if it were me I'd never be able to do something like that but for the movie and for Michael's character yes that was the right thing to do I love it he he, he hedges but he's right that is the, actually the correct answer Joe, Joe Caparoso I'll give you a, a chance to answer the same question I, I mean, I think I think he nailed that response there. I mean, he's a little cold-blooded, but I think it was right. He, Michael's character had to do what he had to do. I think that was the right call at the time. In my home, where my children sleep. Dom, same question. Yeah, I, I got to agree with these guys here. I mean, uh, just the way Michael's character sort of unravels, kind of, you know, by the end of part two, he... he he didn't leave himself much choice. You know, he was he was trying to save the family, and, you know, in doing that, that's what he basically felt he had to do. Could I do it or, you know, of course not. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't running a, a mafioso <laughs> enterprise. So, so. so, so uh, you say. So you say. Um, <laughs> Cal, your, your last bit for the guys, and then we'll let them go. Yeah, I just before we let you guys go, thank you again so much for for being so generous with your time. Um, you you're all terrific. You all do great work. We follow you every day, and and it's really been a, a great pleasure to have you on. Now, tonight we're not going to be on next week 
because it's Thanksgiving. So tonight traditionally doubles as our Thanksgiving episode. So I would be remiss if I did not throw this question out to the group. You have one item on your Thanksgiving table. One thing. It could be an appetizer. It could be an entree. It could be the turkey. It could be dessert, whatever. You get to pick one thing. What is it? Chris. Oh, my God. I was really hoping you weren't going to start with me. Uh, <laughs> one one you want to pass? Wow. Pass. Uh, yeah, come pass. back. Come, please come back to me. It's a very, very deep, important question that I need to ponder a little bit longer. All right, Chris passes. Joe, you cannot pass. Answer. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. I mean, we we deep fry the turkey in my house. We've been doing that the last couple of years, and I can tell you, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I could never go back to traditionally made turkey. So I'm just going with the, the turkey in the deep fryer. So I think it's like four or five hours my dad puts it in. Well, the deep-fried turkey is my choice. That's awesome. And, of course, Tom wrote a great piece today about Michael Vick deep-frying a turkey. Yep. It was an excellent piece. Yes. So, 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 Dom, we'll, we'll go to you. We'll go to you uh, with your, uh, your, your Thanksgiving soul. One thing. You get one thing on the table, man. That's it. Chris, get I'm, ready. I'm going with the I'm going with the I'm going with the baked turkey on mine. Uh, I, the fried turkey is great. It's easier to prepare and all that. But I love that, that the way that that, that at, when that turkey's in the oven all day, the smell of it, you know, and just the, the, the anticipation that kind of builds throughout the day for it. And then I just can't get enough eating it once it's you know it's there. And then having those leftovers the rest of the weekend, you know, cold yep. turkey right out of the fridge right after Thanksgiving is nothing better. Yep. All right, Chris. All right, I'm ready. <laughs> Good. What do you got? I'm ready. I will say I'm a, I'm a big Thanksgiving guy. I love all the food. Love the turkey. Love the stuffing. Love the. I like the canned cranberry sauce. I'll go on record with that. So do I. Uh, I'm with but you. However, however, I've always been a carbo man since I was very little. Love my carbs. Love my starches. I've got to have the piping hot. A little bit on the doughy side, crescent rolls. That's that's what I've got. To have. Oh wow! I did not see that coming. Nobody saw that's that right. coming. That's right. I thought you were going to go mashed potatoes. A bit of a curveball there. I love mashed. Yes. I actually had mashed potatoes tonight for dinner with a little uh, pulled pork <laughs> sliders that I made in the crock pot. So you know, Look it's you. Uh, wow. Yeah. Somebody gets a snow day and they uh, suddenly they're cooking at home. Look at you with the crockpot. Hey, crock man, no, pot. you can leave. I was in Florin Park today. You throw the crockpot on when you leave. You come home and dinner's ready. It's a beautiful thing. Set it, yep. set it and forget it. I feel like we're on an infomercial now. Magnificent. That's right. Um, I happen to use one myself. They're they're fantastic. Throw it right. I the made a roast bad. pork a pork loin last week. It was unbelievable. Carrots and apples. Nice and Cal, uh, Cal, what's your uh, let's let's uh, let's uh, what's yours? Oh, I wasn't expecting to answer this. Well, you have to. Hurry up I so know. we can let these guys go. The turkey leg. The leg itself. So you're the, the, big, Hen- the, the big leg, yeah. You're the Henry VIII guy. I'll take that. You just like holding it, right? It's, yeah, it's more for effect. <laughs> it's like a power trip. But it's good. All right. And uh, you? Stuffing. Okay. Stuffing with the gravy. Yeah, love the stuffing, yes. No, no giblets involved, please, in the gravy, please. Giblet free. Let's not, not – I don't want anything floating in it. I don't want anybody looking like they could jump in and save themselves. I don't want anything in there. Nothing. Uh, yeah, I got to go stuffing. Guys, thank you. Oh, uh, uh, thank you guys so much. Enjoy. I'm sure you all have a pasta course for Thanksgiving because we're Italian. Um, and uh, really, have a great Thanksgiving, guys. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, be safe on your uh, your trip to Detroit, uh, Joe and Dom. Or uh, Chris and Dom. Joe, you're not going anywhere. 
I'm not going anywhere. I'll be comfortably in the living room. Thank Full you, guys. Full disclosure, I will not right. be going Thanks, either. Guys. I will be watching the game from home, just so you know. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then yeah. be careful going to your living room. Yes. Not out of my I'll, hands. Not my fault. Dom will be there. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Before we started. So. Oh, beautiful. Right, good. Thanks. Beautiful. D- Detroit's beautiful this time of year, so it should be great. <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Thank Same you, to you. Too. Thank you. Bye, guys. So there you have it, Cal. There you have it. Uh, what I just uh, can't thank those guys enough for their time. Um, I I think uh, they were all just so good. Their work is so good, uh, and uh, just uh, really fun to enjoy that. Should we bring the bishop in and just find out once again what his favorite Thanksgiving meal is? He's yeah, been, I, I I miss him. We haven't heard. I miss from him tonight. too. Let's He's bring him. He's done a great job behind the scenes. Unbelievable job behind the glass tonight. This is. This, there it is. The credits should be rolling now. The credits are rolling right now. Right? With a montage <laughs> of stop motion. He's got he's cutting the turkey. Right. There's a right. picture there's a picture Too of, many uh, cooks. That's yeah. There's a picture of Lepresti, you know, there's uh, like <laughs> everybody's <laughs> laughing. Like a freeze frame of Lepresti, right? Um PJ, hi buddy. <laughs> we're, we're only gonna Let's take the Norman Rockwell painting. Right, we're only going to stay on, on for uh, for a few minutes because um, uh, we're we're going to sing singleize this. So um, and there's and there's not much more we can do. There's really not much more we can do. I'm exhausted. That's a mic drop moment if there ever was one. But I do need to know, Peach. What um, what are you having for Thanksgiving? What's the must on the table? I know we've talked about it before. Pre- Refresh my recollection. As previously mentioned, the Italian Thanksgiving combines traditional Thanksgiving with some Italian goodies. Uh, that's the standard at our house. So Industry standard. What? Industry standard, Italian. What we need over here are the uh, the arancinis. Ooh. You know what I... The rice balls. Now, of course. Homemade, yeah. prepared two different ways. One is stuffed with uh, chopped meat. Pignoli nuts and raisins. Oh my God! The other one is stuffed with some uh, cube mozzarella and some parmigiana and some diced pepperoni, and you go straight to heaven. <laughs> Why did we not have this show in a Knights of Columbus hall? Who invited Giada? <laughs> like, why did we just not invite these guys to a Knights of Columbus hall and do the show live? <laughs> And just put out a nice plate. Just showed Cal my cleavage. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, PJ's camera on Uvu has like this weird, like kind of Vaseline sort of warm fuzz. That's right. And he's Giada all of a sudden. You just put a filter on. Your teeth are unbelievably white. Unbelievably. And you have better cleavage than her. Sadly true. Sadly true. If if you want my American answer, it would be uh, it would be yams prepared seven different ways because it's different over here every year. Always excited what? about the yams. Yams or sweet potatoes? Is there a difference? <laughs> and Next. are they killing you on RT <laughs> tonight at eleven on <laughs> RTU? <laughs> and are they killing you? What's in your yams? Tonight at 11. Can they help your kids with their homework? 
bad for your intestines? Um, are yams is, brain food? Are there is there a difference? That's, I'm asking PJ. Is there a difference? I don't. I don't believe. I don't believe there is. Uh, I think it depends on your religion. I think it depends on the region. <laughs> I don't know. And your and your religion. The region right. that your religion is from. Yes. I, I just wanted to say that. I don't think there's a difference. There's no difference in my mouth because they're delicious <laughs> either way. We'll pass over here on the yams. Is that right? Yep. Well, all right. We just slide them so right to the next person. So you're a communist. Okay. I am. That's fine. Imagine slide how... them to the next person. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, give, you give them away. You push them on your daughter. What? I'm just like, no thank you. <laughs> Emma, you need Maybe to eat all of Maybe someone's not making the yams correctly over there. No, I just, I've never been a sweet potato guy. <laughs> I've heard that about you. I, right. <laughs> that cow. Not a sweet potato guy. No, I know, it's, it's a just little like surprising. like the old song says. <laughs> what What does it say? I don't, I don't know that song. <laughs> what does the old song say? He's not a sweet potato guy. Like that. I love that song. I think that's as good as any. Is it Al Jolson? It was. It was <laughs> For some reason, yes. I don't know why. I knew it. Yeah, that's the famous Al Jolson song, the Sweet Potato Guy song. Yeah. Do you watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade with your children? Absolutely. Absolutely. On 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 tape delay, we record it. Yeah. So we can eat right. breakfast. Yep, we DVR it, and uh, Wesley's really into it now. Really into it. Mm-hmm. Come on, we're not—we're American. I was just going to ask Cal, what if the you know what if the Pilgrims had turned down sweet potatoes? Okay, that's un-American, my friend. Then I wouldn't have to feel awkward passing it <laughs> on to the next person. Would have made my life a lot easier. PJ, final unload. Final unload. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We're excited over here. Because debuting this year at the parade is the Red Power Ranger float. Oh. 70 feet long, bigger than Spider-Man. Look out. Somebody's excited, and it's not my son. <laughs> PJ, do you want to take a second final unload since you really weren't a huge part of this, uh, this episode? You want another one? You want another one? What I want to say is... Uh, Absolutely nothing. Go right so the an- So the answer is no. <laughs> no, look, Michael Corleone. Yeah, you answer to that kill question. Fredo. You answer that question. Completely steers the family away from, let's call it, the ideals of his father's. His that father's wasn't criminal the organization was centered on family. When you kill a member of your own family, you're completely off the rails. So what it is, it's the breaking point not only from his father's way of doing things, but it's also the start down the path to his own demise. He just doesn't realize it yet. And yet it was inevitable. That's all so Michael true. Michael is a doomed character. But my question, is, and that's a, that's a fantastic breakdown, but my question is, would you have done it? Oh, would I have done it? Yeah. You're at you're no. Michael Corleone in that spot. 
could you do it? No. Okay. Would have been thinking of the old man too much. Couldn't have done it. I'll ask you the the other question. Are you listening to Serial? No, but I plan to. All right. Final question. Newsroom Season 3. Are you watching? I am watching. How is it it so It is simply very good, whereas Season 2 was super excellent. Season 3 is simply very good. But I think it's going somewhere really cool. Excellent. Cal, final unload. I think everybody that says they wouldn't do what Michael Corleone did, that's great. But if Francis Ford Coppola was directing you, I don't think you'd have a choice. Are you saying he'd make you an offer you couldn't refuse? Don't answer that. <laughs> well played. It's cheap Happy and Thanksgiving, don't do it. everyone. PJ, PJ, <laughs> PJ was just your counsel. Don't answer that. <laughs> I leaned in and covered Cal's mic. <laughs> <laughs> Whispered something in my ear. I'm going to I'm going to invoke my right to for the Fifth Amendment. Um, and my final unload is uh, again a huge thanks to the to the guys who came on the show with us tonight um, for giving their time and also uh, you know being candid and putting up with the silliness uh, that some of it was. Uh, really, guys, uh, thank you so much um, and uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Cal, happy Thanksgiving. PJ, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, be be safe, boys. We'll see you post Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> well done. That was the turkey final unload. That was right. That was that, Tom. was that was Tom Turkey's final unload. And by the way, that was PJ. That wasn't a canned. That was him. That was that's how good that was. That wasn't an actual turkey. You you are Mel Blanc, boy. You really are. Good night. <laughs>